0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, we, we're on our third week on sharing a bit of the mission and the vision of the church. And um, I remember the first time when we met, I uh, was in a little house outside here in Stellenbosch. It was uh, 29 years ago. Uh, probably 30 students coming together with a black pastor married to a white lady before apartheid was abolished um, here in the town where apartheid started and, um, you know, as, as a theology, and the Lord said he wants to do something new. And now 30 years later, uh, with more than 70 churches just in South Africa, up to Burundi and lots of other places as well, What an amazing testimony to see the grace of God manifest through certain people that were just hungry for the Lord. All we did was we just prayed and worshiped, and eventually that group grew, so we realized like, wow, we must actually start church, you know? Um, It wasn't a a structure. It wasn't a building. uh, It was simply the things that God places on our heart, and that's why the vision that we adhere to and the vision in our heart is so important you have to regularly keep it in front of you scripture says write the vision down uh, because we forget we get distracted we get busy with a lot of things so our vision is to reach nations and generations through discipleship leadership development and church planting and um, yeah what an excitement just last week we started with a, a discipleship school in Nepal uh, for three months with a pastor there. Let's go discipleship school, Darbury and Mina, many of you know them. They are in India uh, doing discipleship and church planting there. Um, it's all people, just regular people that were sitting right here and said yes to the call of God on their lives. And so discipleship, leadership development, and church planting. But the focus is to reach and uh, to say we're not comfortable. Uh, just with where we are, or being consumers, or being complacent, uh, because our biggest challenge, our biggest sin in the church in the West is indifference and unbelief. Is when we fall for indifference, we we lose the ability to feel and to have empathy and to reach out, Um, because we sort of, uh, the love of many grows cold in our hearts, And so you cannot live a comfortable existence if you are a Christian. Uh, Your only comfort you find in the Lord and in eternity. Amen? Uh, There's going to be challenging times. There's going to be things that the Lord would ask of us that we can't do and we can't go to and we don't want to. Um, But when we say yes to his call, to his vision, uh, that's when when we begin to follow him wholeheartedly. And so we started with the scripture in Luke chapter 11, and then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, When the disciple says, Lord, we want to know how we should pray, (laughs) and uh, there are three things in just the first two lines that we're focusing on concerning the vision, but they said, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. That's the start. That's the primary focus. After that, the prayer goes about provision, guidance, protection, everything that we need, because God knows about those things. But scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. But those first three lines are so important, because we can almost miss the whole part of a vision. You can have a great vision, and have lots of people, and a um, uh, one of my st- stories that changed my life is a pastor's friend. He uh, is uh, in South Africa now, and he was walking down the beach one day because uh, a, <clears throat> he had a very small church and very committed people, wonderful disciples, but they were he was walking on the beach and he was really offended with what was happening around him because a big other church opened up two years before that, and they just exploded and expanded and grew and so he's sort of a bit offended with the Lord and he's crying and saying, God, why I'm working so hard, all these things around me. And and here's this church that just mushrooms up, you know, things just it's just big and it's huge. And so as he's walking on the beach, um, he's talking to the Lord about the numbers and all of that stuff, everything that doesn't really matter to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to him. He says, let's say his name is John. He said, John I don't number the people, I weigh the people. And he said his whole, his whole thought life, his whole way of doing things changed because sometimes we think if something is big and great and majestic that the Lord is in it. But it's about how spiritually weighty are the people. Are we disciples? Are we doing what God has called us to do? And so this morning, we're talking about a family on a mission. A family on a mission. We're a family as we're sitting here. There's other services here in the Opiekerge tonight. Most students are away, but on a normal Sunday night, almost a thousand students will come into this place. And the question is: Don't we? Is, is, are we having a great community, great coffee, great g- gatherings, or are we a family on a mission? And uh, we're going to talk about some of those things because Jesus said. Our Father in heaven. We have a family with a Father, and so everything we do should reflect the Father's heart, should create a space where we know God as our Father. And so it starts with our Father, community. God is in community. Did you know that? He created us to be in community. We've been made in His image, but He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together (laughs) together. There's no individualism in the Trinity, and so the invitation for us is to walk out of our individualism into community, and it's tough, and that's why he told his disciples say, our Father, say with me, our Father, hallowed be your name. So the second thing we looked at is worship, or we actually started with that. Everything about us should glorify God you tomorrow morning in your workspace, you tomorrow morning when you go out at school, wherever you are, you and I are here to hallowed be your name. And the third thing is let your kingdom come here in Stellenbosch as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your freedom. We thank you, Lord, that we can say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come in our hearts in our lives but through our lives let your will be done here in Stellenbosch in South Africa as it is in heaven lord we don't want to just play church we want to be the church and we need your holy spirit to breathe on us lord to bring freedom and to show us the ways of god lord your thoughts are not our thoughts Your ways are not our ways, and we humbly come to you this morning, Lord. We want to know your thoughts, your ways. We want to know your word, Lord, that will prosper and accomplish in the thing that you have sent it for. Lord, come and show us the lamp of our feet, the light unto our path. Through your word, we want to know the truth. And we say thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Is the Americans are you still awake? Are you still alright? Every 10 minutes I'm going to check up on you. Okay. The second scripture we looked at is Psalm 68, because I know some I've seen some people here that hasn't been around for the last two or three months. So it must be amazing to be back in church. He says, um, David writes this: he says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rises on the clouds by his name yah, ja, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless. If we connect with God, if we know him as this. Our father, then, we must know he's hot because he's a father of the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. He's saying like in family, through family, your local family, your natural family, your spiritual family. That is God's answer for the world, is family. It's not a bunch of people just coming together, but it's people that are coming together. And I want to encourage you, if you are a family, then pray about why did God put you together as a family? You as a family, a little group of people together, aren't just like thrown together. You have a vision. You should have a vision statement and a mission statement as a family. What, what is your redemptive purpose? What does God want you to do? Where does God want you to serve? What is, where does God want you to be planted? And from that family, because I I think a lot of people, if they don't have vision, if they don't have strategy, then we just go through life, you know. We go Mr. Bean. (laughs) We just like say maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. But you should have a family statement and put it up on your wall, you know. When people walk in there, then you can share it with them. And you have to share it regularly because we forget. That's why in church we regularly share what the vision is. Why are we actually here together? And you know, the amazing thing I've shared last week, that in lockdown, we as a church have grown. We've baptized 130 students just from the beginning of the year. So God is building His church, amen? God is doing things, not because of the numbers, but because of discipleship. I'm not looking to numbers, but if you see people getting baptized, then you realize like, wow, they've taken a step to start to follow Christ. And what an amazing thing that we can be part of that. Because people are hungry, people are confused, people are challenged. And so listen to this, because I think sometimes when we read scripture, we read scripture as if it's only applicable to us. But when you read scripture and you see how God interacted with nations, with cities, it's, it's actually amazing that you also begin to see that God wants you and I to take responsibility for the place where we live. So, so this is, remember, this is now the third part. So if you've missed the first two parts, it's almost like you can almost, you know, I don't want you to, to just focus on today because the Our Father part is the most important. Create a space for the Our Father part in our hearts and the people we disciple, and we spoke a lot about that. But listen to this in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus comes in this moment when he comes into Jerusalem. And we've seen these amazing moments when the children started to cry out. The children started to, like, shout the name of Christ. And uh, many people said, be quiet, be quiet. And Jesus said, well, hey, no, they're going to worship me. Either the stones are going to cry out or the people are. But out of the mouths of nursing babes and infants, I will perfect praise. So never neglect the little ones, eh? You are the most spiritual between the age of zero and seven. In your life I've had the most profound experiences through people between the age of zero and seven bringing me a word you know some places in Indonesia where we've gone there are churches with 14 year old kids leading those churches so never think of children as just like let's keep them busy at Sunday school they the next generation and we need to lay hands on them. We need to impart on them because they need to run with the vision. They need to run with what God has said. So here in Luke chapter 19 verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city. Now this is Jesus over Jerusalem. He's not praying this over one or two people. So the question I want to start with is if Jesus would stand today on the mountain over Stellenbosch, what would his response be to this town? This town is, unfortunately, one of the most divided socio-economic towns in the world. And the church in this town will take first responsibility for that. And when he drew near and saw this city, he doesn't say he saw an individual or two. he looks over the city. The question is, if Jesus would come to visit Stellenbosch, would the people of Stellenbosch know the time of his visitation? What would Jesus pray over your family, my family, and over this town? It's it's a question we have to ask, because there's a lot of times when Jesus would speak out, you know, in Luke chapter 10, I think he says, woe to you Bethsaida, woe to you Chorazin, if only you... You know, knew the miracles we did. You know, if other cities knew those miracles, they would have repented long ago. But Bethsaida and Chorazin, you you were blind to see God moving and where he is moving. So it sort of changes your mind when you start to think of like, Jesus, what would you pray and what would you weep over when it comes to Stellenbosch? But the fact is he wants to visit and he is visiting Stellenbosch at the moment. And God is doing amazing things, but let's not put it in a box and say, like, yeah, we want to control what you want to do, because there's a time of visitation. I think for a lot of churches in the West, especially, and in Europe, there's a massive shaking happening, and people have to decide, hey, are we we going to allow Jesus to be Jesus, or are we going to, like, just go back to normal Christianity, because that's where we feel comfortable. And the challenge, the invitation is, if only you knew the time of your visitation. So he weeps over Jerusalem, and he says, because you've rejected me 70 years from now, because that was 70 years later, Jerusalem was basically destroyed to the ground. And because those people held on to their hard-necked, stiff-necked beliefs and stuff, that God had to like bring persecution or allow persecution so that the gospel can go into all the world. And there was great fights, you know, because, you know, when the... Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. All the Jews in Jerusalem just said, no, this can't be. Lord, you can't move like this, you know. So Philip and Paul and all these guys there, you know. Eventually God has to bring a vision with Cornelius and all this stuff in the book of Acts just to say, hey, guys, the gospel is actually for everyone. It's not not just for your comfort, you know. And the question we ask is, why is the church growing in places like Iran? Why is the church growing in the Middle East or in Nepal where we have that Bible school? It's because of persecution. Where people begin to say, hey, we're not going to follow a cultural Jesus. We want to follow the Jesus of the Bible, and it doesn't matter what it's going to cost us. Wow. You know, one of the moments that changed my life was in a little house. not a, It was a big house, sitting for 10 days in a room with a couple of Iranese Christians in the in the capital city and asking them, like, hey, what, what's it, what, is, what is it about, you know? And they said, do you know the most precious, valuable thing is just to meet together and to be able to worship God together with other believers? And this one lady was fasting for 21 days to get baptized in the bathtub. And her 21-day fast stopped the day just before we left. And I I think I've probably never seen so many people in one bathroom together. I think we were about 40, you know? No, probably about 70. The 70 Jesus sent out, you know, we were all in one little small bathroom, you know. Ten people were standing on the bath. I was just praying and saying, Lord, please let this thing not break. Otherwise, we're going to have rivers of water flooding this whole place, you know? And it was just weeping. We just wept for an hour to be able. The privilege of being baptized. But you know when you get baptized in Iran— you know what happens? You have just signed your death certificate. You've just said, this is it. They don't mind whether you come or whether you go, whatever, but the moment when you get baptized, you've stepped into another space. And so the challenge for us what is our faith costing us? And what are we praying over Stellenbosch? Or are we, you know? So I, I sometimes, when I drive, Around I I drive this way, then I drive that way. I, I just say like, hey, Lord, this town will come into its redemptive purpose. And what is the redemptive purpose? The redemptive purpose of this town is to raise up young people, to send them into all the world, Christian leaders, people that will run with the gospel. That's why this theology department started. That's why this university started. It was a Christian university. This was a Christian town. But it's drifted. There's a lot of Christianity things going on. Because there's a lot of good Christian people, but not a lot of people that saying yes to what Jesus would pray over our town. So in Luke chapter 10, are you still with me? Just shake your neighbor and say, hey, that smile on your face, I'm just amazed. It's just crazy that you're so joyful in church. So... So I want to encourage you, when you go read scriptures, go read the prayers Jesus prayed over cities and over towns. Then suddenly you begin to feel like, wow, he's not just interested in me having a good existence in Stellenbosch. I actually have a purpose with a group of other people called the church in this town, in this nation. A lot of people are running away from the nation. I'm so excited because I realize, Lord, the darker it gets, the more light shines, People panic, they're afraid, they, they, they want to run away, people want to, but it's so good that we are shaken. It's so good for us because God is not primarily interested in our comfort. Sorry. The second thing that Jesus taught his disciples from the word go is he said, there's a problem. The problem in the kingdom is not that people out there doesn't want to come into the will of God. The problem is the laborers. And he said, what do you do? So when you pray for your town, when you pray for Rwanda, Willem, when you go there, when you pray for Izzel and Ben, when you go to India, then what do you pray? You don't say, oh, Lord, please save the time.' What you say? Say, Lord, raise up laborers in this place for the harvest field. Because that is God's expectation. He says, will you be a laborer? Will you fulfill the ministry of believers in this town. And it starts through that thing called prayer. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 also and sent them two by two before his face so never alone. There's no lone ranger mission. Where he himself was about to go. I love this part. He says where he himself was about to go. You're not doing things for God. You're doing it with him. And he sends you face to face. So if I say to you, you've been sent by God, you know, it's much different than just saying to like a group of people, "Oh, you out there, brethren and sisterin, cometh thine unto the Lord and goeth I die into eternity." It's like, but it becomes much more personal than when Jesus stands in front of you and says, "Like, I've sent you to disciple your kids. I've sent you, commissioned you, and suddenly you begin to realize, like, wow, I actually have a responsibility. It's not a burden." It's not a yoke with, I just need to carry it. I'm doing it with Christ. You know, I must tell you this funny story. So we're going to, um, and Jechens can, can um, confirm, so we're going to Rondebosch. We did like an uh, outreach there on, on Wednesday, and it's just beautiful, um, you know. And so they ministered, the chauffeur Rondebosch there, they mostly ministered to the UCT students. So I just love it there because it's just, the whole church is black people and i love preaching to black people because they're loud and they laugh at all your jokes you know they just like you know you don't i don't even tell a joke and they laugh you know and it's just so amazing i just felt so free you know because sometimes you know with the white people you know people just like check out and and then they go through the list whether this is a good joke or not you know they just laughed all the time you know at the end of the service, we sang Bo- Malibongwe, you know, and, and it was just like they started with the, the Cree, you know, the, the Creed song, and everybody's going like, yo, yo, yo. And then when that Malibongwe song came, people were dancing and shouting and going, wow, I just love that, you know. But so at the end, so we prayed for this guy. Uh, there was a lot of response, and people were just like loving the Lord, and so. So now I'm praying with another guy for this one specific person. So it's quite a big guy, and he's standing there, and he's no, no response, no emotional response. But so I'm praying, and when I start, I felt the Lord said, cast the net on the other side, you know? And, um, and so halfway through the prayer, again, I said to him, cast the nets on the other side. You just, the Lord is saying, cast the nets on the other side. Now the guy who's with me, who's from the congregation, he begins to laugh. Yeah, you know? and so at the end of the service, because I feel like the Lord really wants him to cast the nets on the other side, you know. But I think it's like quite weird because hey, we've said it once, why would we say it again? So at the end of the prayer, the guy who prays with me says like, this guy is the CEO of a big fishing company in South Africa. I just laughed, I just said like, wow, okay, Lord, I, I can just imagine on Monday morning what he's going to do, you know? To phone all his fish trawlers and say like, hey, cast the net on the other side, you know? I, I don't know, you know? Let's take it spiritually, but for him, maybe it was physically, I don't know, but I just love it when God walks into somebody's life and he pulls your file and he says, hey, I know what's going on. You're not just doing things for him, you're doing it with him, and so Jesus pointed out, and you can go make a study of this, because it's, it's so important that we learn this as the church, as laborers, is when you go into a place, he says, find a house of peace, and he also talks about cities of peace. Now, that's, we can spend hours just on how he does, but he says, when you go in and somebody receives you, then stay there and bless them, a house. He first talks about a house, and then he talks about cities, you know? says how he sends them sheep among wolves. And then in verse 5, he says, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. It's just beautiful when we as the church become spiritual about what God has called us to do. You can release the peace of God over a place, over a city. So you don't just go there and start a business in Timbatu. You have to say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to release your peace in that place. I want you to speak your life over that place. So I pray for the peace of Jerusalem because scripture says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for the peace of Bosch. When I walk into a city, I say, Father, let your peace rest here. And so Jesus taught this was the first teaching as he sent them. So go and study it because it's so important that you learn the principles. What we sometimes do is we just go in and say, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe I'm gonna do it, maybe not. No, no, we are on a mission and we need discernment as to where God is moving. So pray for that, pray for that place, that person of peace, that city of peace. In verse five, it says, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, release your peace. Verse eight, it says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are said before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Isn't, isn't that amazing? It says when you're entering that city and they receive you, he'll, there, there's going to be a, a spirit of faith that is going to release their faith. And then, then the kingdom is going to come because why are they receiving? So never waste time, if I can say it like that, with people that are not teachable, people that are not receiving you. Yeah, Because some people... They need just time to connect with God themselves. We cannot convict people, but we can be laborers. We can pray. Amen? So turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you have the ability to release God's peace over your family. So the Bible talks about men of peace. The Bible talks about releasing the peace of God and the freedom of God. So... Are you, are you still with me? I'm, I'm enjoying this because I'm seeing all the faces at once. So I'm going to preach till three o'clock, and then the soccer is gone, everything else. Okay, no. if you don't say amen, can I get an amen from here, Ruan, there at the back? Amen, mean, okay. If, you, if you're in a bit of an hurry. So <clears throat> maybe one more principle, and then we, we're going to take some time out to pray over the vision, to pray over the church, and uh, pray over your family. Maybe Maybe before we move, maybe just, Share with the person next to you one thing that you think you as a family can be redemptive in. Something special about you that God has placed. Maybe you're prophetic. Maybe like Chris and Lurica, they, they're prophetic dancers. They're just great in releasing the freedom of God. We'll see at the end of the service. I'm joking with them. Yeah. But, but all of us, there's something that, that God has placed in our heart as a local family and I want you to quickly just share one thing with somebody next to you. Okay, one more minute quickly. Great. I think it's a conversation to be continued in our lives and work out a family statement, work out a vision of what has what God placed in your heart? What are those things that God wants you to live out? But also for us as a family, as a spiritual family, the last thing is, is the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's a scripture that a lot of people quote, but they actually quote it completely out of context. Because they say, hey, the Lord is with you, and he's got plans for you to prosper you, to give you a future, and to give you hope. And they have these little bread scriptures. Um, But one has to go and look at the context in which it was written. And so God speaks to Israel, before Israel goes into bondage, slavery, for almost 70 years. So they're on their way into slavery for 70 years, and now this is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is what he tells them. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there. So the point is increase, multiply, and not diminish. And then he says, seek and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Wow. That's not the type of scripture we quote the first part. Hey, you're going to go into slavery for 70 years, and it's going to be tough. But I know the thoughts that I have for you. (laughs) I think when we don't connect with the full counsel of God, we sometimes submit to a false gospel. And one of the worst gospels that we in the West are falling to is called the prosperity gospel, it derives us from knowing God truly and intimately. Because we measure our intimacy with God by the breakthroughs or the things that go well in our lives. And then we become superficial Christians. So what he says in this scripture is he says, hey, it's tough times. It's going to be tough times. And do you know what? I've allowed these tough times. I've allowed you to go into captivity. I've allowed COVID. I've allowed these things around you. But there's some things you need to learn, he says. When you get into that place, I'm still going to prosper you, but I want you to multiply. I want you to grow. Not just naturally, but spiritually. I want you to settle in that place, and then you pray for the peace of that place so that you can have peace. So whether you know it or not, you have been planted in Stellenbosch for a reason and you need to pray for the peace of Stellenbosch even when you feel like, wow, there's just so many things going on. All South Africa or wherever you come from, God has placed you there for a purpose. There's just one thing that he warns us of is the deception that comes. He says, because a lot of people will prophesy stuff to you And you'll even dream dreams. But don't listen to them, I've not called them. And that's why the prosperity gospel is so destructive, because it doesn't draw you closer to God. It actually takes you away from God. And a lot of people say, no, God just wants to prosper you, give you peace and a hope and a nice house at the sea. But what he does, he says, like, you have to be careful when you're in captivity. And we as the church in the world, we're captive. And we need freedom. And that's why we don't, this is not our home. If we settle here, we're in trouble. And so he says, even when you're in captivity, just know that I am going to bring you out. I have plans to prosper you and give you a future. But there's certain stuff you need to learn while you're in the world, you need to pray for the peace of where you are, increase trust God for growth, bring Him your fish and your bread, bring Him what you have consecrated to Him, live wholeheartedly for God where you are. But be careful of deception because when you're captive, you, you can get deceived so easily. Because we, 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 we try to measure our significance in the kingdom by our breakthrough in the kingdom and not by our intimacy with God. Because at the end, it sort of gives us the key. And if this is the most important thing that you remember, then remember this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart the time of captivity is designed for you to find God with all of your heart, but you need to seek him. You need to search for him. So if you're going to listen to sometimes what the the prophets say, they're going to always prophesy breakthrough. They're going to prophesy the next thing, because that keeps people alive, you know, in a sense. The next this, the next this, the next this. While the Call is actually to seek God with all of your heart because it makes you so dependent on Him. You begin to cry and say, God, it feels to me like there's no breakthrough, but you know what? I'm going to worship you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come in my captivity. Your will be done wherever I am because I know the thoughts that you have towards me. Not for breakthrough, but to know you, to know you with all of my heart. And, and so the, the challenge for us as the church is, are we going to worship God as a cultural God or with our pet doctrines, or are we going to worship God for who he really is? And he gives us the keys here to cities. He gives us the keys here to Nations. So when you begin to pray for that city, and so I want to encourage you in the next couple of weeks, just when you drive through Stellenbosch, just say, Father, I pray for the peace of Stellenbosch. I pray for the peace of Somerset West. I pray for the peace of Paul. And then ask him, what does the peace mean in his vocabulary, in his definition of that peace? And then you pray the same over your own family. Say, Father, I pray for your peace over my family. Can I get an amen? That was a good place to say amen. Hallelujah. Okay. (laughs) And so it's an invitation to follow God. It's an invitation to know God. But the challenge is if we're just stuck where we are, we're going to be stuck where we are. And so God says, I I actually want to, I've designed all of this for you to know me. I've designed all of this for you to come and to actually release my redemptive purpose over your town, over your family. And some of you, maybe this morning, you've never prayed this. You never prayed, said, Lord, like what's, what's the redemptive purpose for us as a family or even in our friendships? It's called covenant friendship. God didn't just place you together to have nice weekends at the sea and to do nice bicycle rides in the mountain and to do nice jogging because Stellenbosch is beautiful. He hasn't called you Together as friends, even or us as a church, just to have nice worship times together. He's called us together to unlock the redemptive purpose of this town and this nation. Do you know how many things were born from this town? Good stuff and bad stuff. And he wants to give the church the keys. He said, If you know me, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But that revelation comes through knowing the Father. When everybody else like, hey, Peter, who do you say? Who do you say this Jesus isn't? He said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, but you know what? You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. That's who I say you are. And then Jesus said, well, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven And therefore, I will give you the keys. And so God wants to, I believe, release the keys of cities of nations to the church, but only those who are awake. Only those who are not distracted and divided and going on different tangents. You have to begin to ask God, I want to know you. I want to know your will. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Thank you for listening.